Welcome, my brothers and sisters. I'm Pastor Murphy. We welcome you to the worship experience of the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. It's our joy that you have joined us on this Lord's Day, and it certainly is our prayer that the Word of God instructs you and empowers you, and that the worship by way of singing and celebration blesses you with inspiration as you get yourself prepared to meet the challenges of a coming week. Be blessed. Sit back. Embrace, soak up what God has for you today. We'll look forward to seeing you again in the name of the Lord. Amen. Say you love Jesus. We love Jesus. Well, if you love Jesus, you will show some signs. One more time. Say you love Jesus. Say you love Jesus. Say you love Jesus. Well, if you love Jesus, you will show some signs. Listen. me when I shout what they really don't know is what's in my heart I'm shouting about say love Jesus say you love Jesus say love Jesus well if you love Jesus you want to show some signs say love Jesus say you love Jesus say love
Good morning, and welcome to the announcements for the recurring and weekly online activities here at Greater Little Zion for the week of August 22nd. You're invited to join us for our adult Sunday school each Sunday at 8.30 a.m., where the lessons are facilitated by one of Zion's outstanding teachers. Adult Sunday School is followed by our worship service at 10 o'clock a.m. The Youth and Young Adult Sunday School is held each Saturday morning at 10 a.m. All youth and young adults are invited to participate in these vibrant discussions of shared experiences and learn practical application of God's Word for their lives today. Again, the time is 10 a.m. each Saturday morning. Prayer meeting is held each Wednesday at 6 p.m. and you're invited to join a group of Zion Prayer Warriors as they offer intercessory prayers for our church, community, and the world at large. Prayer meeting is followed by the adult Bible study led by Rev. Dr. Murphy at 7.30 p.m. For the months of August through September, the adult Bible study will be exploring the book entitled Making Friends, Making Disciples, Growing Your Church Through Authentic Relationships, authored by Lee B. Spitzer. The focus of this study is to engage participants to explore how we can improve our church membership through relationships. The book is available on Amazon if you would like to do some advanced reading. Deacon Joanne Johnson O'Neill and Reverend Dr. Murphy will be co-facilitating these lessons and you're invited to participate and even invite a friend to share in these in-depth discussions. Ladies, don't forget the Women's Ministry virtual gathering today at 12 noon. The guest speaker will be Reverend Rochelle Toya and she will be addressing the topic of stillness, faith, and family, seeing the blessings in the midst of COVID. Reverend Toya is a dynamic speaker and you don't wanna miss this fellowship and her awesome message. So don't go far, we'll see you at 12 noon. Just a reminder, the Missionary Ministry sponsors a drive-through food distribution on the third Saturday of each month from 10 a.m. to 12 noon, and it is open to the public. Please note that COVID guidelines will be strictly adhered to for the safety of our volunteers and their recipients. For additional church information, please visit the website at glzbc.org. Thank you, and have a blessed week.
and sisters to this hour of worship and the preaching of God's word. We want to invite you this morning, if you will, to get your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. As we hasten to our conclusion on our series on Joseph, we have this sermon and then one more, and we shall conclude the Joseph journey. But we are almost at the end, and so we want to try to give as much information as possible in relation to this glorious life of Joseph. Genesis chapter 45, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm reading this morning from the New Living Translation, Genesis chapter 45, beginning at verse 1. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here and ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. 
God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all of Egypt. I want to talk this morning from the subject, Blessed to be a Blessing. Blessed to be a Blessing. On last week, we concluded by recognizing the lessons learned from Joseph's journey thus far, at least in dealing once again with the confrontation of his brothers. Remember, we said, number one, that grace and mercy can be a surprising experience. That came to part when the brothers recognized that somehow, some way, someone had placed the returned money that they paid for the grain in their bags. And as a result, they could not see it as grace and mercy. It was therefore a surprise to them of this that happened that yet made them feel like God was perhaps judging them for the wrong that they had done. We said that grace and mercy is a surprising experience sometimes because we may not anticipate the outcome to be what grace and mercy does, sets us free, puts us back in the right space with God, and enables us to experience not only forgiveness from God, but yet to express forgiveness to those who have offended us as well. We said also that decisions will determine your outcome. They have an effect on how your outcome will be in situations. Remember the brothers made a decision some 20 plus years now ago when they deliberately sought to destroy Joseph and that decision they had no idea would come back to haunt them some 20, 20 plus years later as they now stand before Joseph yet not knowing that this is Joseph they are standing before. It may have given credence to that old line in which we've heard said, what goes around comes around, but also be careful when you dig ditches for someone, for you very well may be digging a ditch for yourself. And then finally we said that progress, when you look to grow in life and you look to advance yourself, progress makes us walk through the valley of uncertainty. And that is indeed a label on Joseph's journey. He has walked from the pit. He has walked from the pit to the palace in the sense of Potiphar's house. And then he moves to the palace of Pharaoh's house. And yet in the midst of all of that, he is not certain what the outcome will be. But it continually reminds us in Genesis 37 and again in 39 that God is constantly with Joseph and he brings him to a spot where even though he feels uncertain, yet there is this assurance in him that God managed to work in his life all things together for the good. And yet we come to this 45th chapter and when we look at chapter 43 and 44, something incredible happens. The brothers have gone back to share with their father exactly what had happened to them in Egypt. And when we pick up the narrative in chapter 44, 
as they were leaving to come back, they had a conversation with their father. Basically, back in chapter 43, there's this dialogue that's going to take place between Jacob and his sons. And once again, there's a shift in the characters in the story. We began with the brothers. We moved to Joseph. We moved to Potiphar's wife. We moved to Potiphar. We moved to Joseph being in prison and Pharaoh giving him a bit of authority there. We moved to Joseph then being under Pharaoh as his second in command. And now the brothers come back again in the face of Joseph. And yet we have another character that's placed in the narrative, Jacob, the brothers and Joseph's father. Jacob, much like his sons, is in a way being recycled back into the presence of Joseph's life. Isn't it something how we go through some things and then when we are offended by someone or something drastic happens between us, if there's not a clear resolution, we try as best as we can to move beyond it, move into another space, perhaps not even come across the paths of those individuals again. And yet, there appears to be time in which God purposely recycles people back into our lives who's hurt us, who's wounded us, who's placed us in a space of uncertainty, and we can't escape it. That's where we are now, not only with the brothers, but with Jacob. And the brothers are dialoguing with Jacob, and the Bible says that what's happening is the famine in Canaan, as well as Egypt, is ravaging with certainty. It's hyphened. It's causing the entire land to be fruitless. And what the brothers have gained in their first journey to Egypt has now been depleted. And they must go back, says chapter 43. In fact, their father tells them that we're running low. And it's time now for you to go back and get some more grain. But the sons remind him, remember, father, we can't go back without Benjamin. The owner of the land, the Lord of the land, made it clear that in order for us to clear our name from being spies, and for being individuals who yet tell the truth, we must bring back Benjamin. He made that clear. And might I remind you also that if we don't bring back Benjamin, we not only will not be able to buy grain, but Simeon remains incarcerated. The Bible says that Jacob looks at them and asks the question, why were you so cruel to me? Why did you tell him you had another brother? In fact, the brothers, whom Jacob obviously is not aware, are once again lying as they have done before. Remember, when Joseph was sold into slavery, they told their father that a wild beast had consumed him, took his coat, baptized it in blood, and brought it back and presented it before their father. They said that the Lord of the land had asked them questions about the family. But when you go back and read chapter 42, there's no question that's posed by Joseph about the family. He simply just kept repeating, you are spies who came here 
to look and see what the weaknesses are in our land. And they volunteered the information by saying, we are of one man. And our father is back in Canaan. Our younger brother is with him. And then we have one brother who is no longer with us. They volunteered to tell Joseph that they had another brother. In other words, Jacob was saying, listen, why would you volunteer information that you have not been asked about? Any good criminal defense attorney will tell you don't volunteer any information, particularly if you haven't been asked any questions in regard to a particular matter. And that's what Jacob was trying to tell them. You've put our lives at risk because remember, in Jacob's mind, Joseph is dead. And also remember, he did not send Benjamin with them in the first go-round because A, he feared that something would happen to Benjamin, but B, they didn't do a good job in taking care of their brother Joseph when they had the opportunity in the first place. And so Jacob now is overwhelmingly troubled, says the text, troubled because he realizes that he has to make a decision. A tough decision. And remember I told you once before in this whole series, don't ever say what you won't do until you actually have been in that particular situation. All of us got ethics and morality. We have particulars in which we've embraced by way of principles. But isn't it something how when we get in certain conditions, those things may change? Remember, Jacob had said earlier in the story, he would not send Benjamin under no circumstances. He would not risk losing his only remaining son from his wife, Rachel. But what does he do? Says the Bible, he does something that we wouldn't think he would do. Before he does that, though, his son Judah steps forward like Reuben did and says, Father, I will take full responsibility for Benjamin. And if he doesn't return, I don't bring him back safely. You can hold me responsible for the rest of my life. But Jacob says, that really is of no importance to me. That holds no water. That does nothing to help my situation. In fact, the Bible says that Jacob looked at them and finally said in chapter 43, verse 11, if it can't be avoided, then at least do this. Pack up your bags and take extra gifts to the Lord of the land and then take double the money that we took to buy grain to give to the Lord of the land. And may that be an offering that will buy us a manner in which we can have some advantage with the Lord. Then the brothers looked at Jacob and made that decision along with him. We must now be on our journey. But listen to what Jacob says. Take your brother Benjamin. Go back to the man and may English translation, God Almighty, Hebrew El Shaddai, the Almighty God, says Jacob, give you mercy as you go before the man 
so that he will release Simeon and let Benjamin return. But if I must lose my children, so be it. Ah, I could spend several sermons on that response alone. He changes his whole mind by saying, if it's necessary, if I have to do it, if I must lose my children to save those who remain, to save his family, and to save others, perhaps, who are in Canaan attached to Jacob, if that be the case, so it must be. Fast forward, the brothers take their journey, go back to Egypt, and stand before Joseph. A feast is prepared when Joseph sees them. He is overwhelmingly excited to see them, and he sees Benjamin. And when he sees Benjamin, there's a great deal of joy in his eyes. And he looks at the brothers, and he prepares a feast. Read chapter 43 and 44. 43 tells us that in the preparing of the feast, there's a hint. And the hint is he sets all the brothers in their age appropriateness. And the question could have lingered in the minds of the brothers. How did he know how old each of us are? How does he know how to set us? What order we are in? But it went right over their head. But it's something to notice in the story, perhaps an eager hint to unveil who he is. That could have only been known by someone with an inside track into the family. But fast forward even that story, they're there breaking bread. And as they break bread, says the Bible in chapter 44, Joseph prepares something. He lets them buy grain and then he sends them on their way to go back to their father. In fact, he tells them, listen, take all you need, go back and tell your father that he can come to Egypt and here he may reside. But Joseph tells his servants, do me a favor. Give them all that they need, but put my silver cup in the bag of the youngest, Benjamin. Why would he put the silver cup there? Well, the silver cup, no doubt, was a gift from Pharaoh used only by someone like Joseph, second in command. But the question would become, how would Benjamin be able to confiscate Joseph's silver cup? He knew they couldn't. That's why he set them up. Once again, a hint, trying to Give them an idea that something strange is happening. When the brothers came back, they told the manager, listen, we came back. We brought back double the money. We brought back double the money because we had money that we did not bring back before and we want to return it. And interestingly, the manager of the house tells the brothers, relax, don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers must have put this treasure into your sacks. I know I've received your payment. And then they released Simeon to the brothers. They're on their way back to Canaan. They're excited. They're excited because they know they not only have Simeon, but they got Benjamin and they got grain and they got more than enough. 
But Joseph tells one of his servants, before they get out of the city gate too far, catch him, check the bag, and you'll find my cup in the youngest. Then ask them, why have you done such a deceitful thing? What are you trying to do? I gave to you and you stole from me. And fast forward the story when they catch him. One of the brothers, Judah, steps up and says, listen, don't penalize all of us. Only the one who you found the cup in their sack and the rest of us will be your slaves. But the one who has the cup must die. But there's a problem. Joseph knows that his father would not risk his son in that manner because Benjamin is his youngest. Remember what I said, don't say what you won't do until you are in that predicament. And now the brothers must make a choice. And the choice is, do we sacrifice Benjamin? To free our own lives? Or do we step forward to cover Benjamin even though he's not guilty? Well, long story short again, they bring him back. And when they bring him back, listen to what the text says. Judah speaks for his brothers and steps forward to Joseph and says, We don't know what happened. We don't know how this happened, but we beg for your mercy. We beg for your forgiveness. In fact, verse 33 of chapter 44 says, Please, my Lord, let me stay here as a a slave instead of the boy Benjamin, and let that boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me. I couldn't bear to see the anguish that would cause my father. Remember, Jacob told him earlier that if you keep this up, you're going to make this white-haired man go to his grave very quickly. Joseph hears this and says, chapter 45, he could stand it no longer. He brings the brothers into the room and he says to the brothers, he tells everybody else, get out of the room. And he looks at the brothers and he says, I am your brother Joseph. Now, before I give you the principles on that, I want to flip the story a bit because here is something I think you need to understand. We have a conservative aspect in which we want to paint in regard to the story of Joseph because we want to highlight. Not only the sovereignty of God and how God will work all things together for the good, but we failed. There had been a tremendous failure to share with you what the Joseph story also tells us, and that is that it unveils several realities. And one of the realities is, is that not everyone's story ends up like Joseph. And by that I mean not everybody survives the pit. Some people are assaulted or injured in the pit and they can never recover. No matter how many therapists they see, no matter how much counseling they get, they don't recover. 
They may even shift into a space of being suicidal. Not everyone recovers from the pit, and that even includes people who love Jesus. Everybody's story don't end up like Joseph. Not everybody gets to recover from the prison. Joseph spends some years in prison. Remember, he is sort of denied or, or sort of, uh, how should we say, uh, just not been fair by the butler. When he simply asked the butler, when I tell you what your dream is, just do me the favor. When you get to Pharaoh, don't forget to mention my name because I don't belong here. And yet, he doesn't mention Joseph's name. And it's two more years before Joseph is recognized by Pharaoh. But not everybody gets that two more years. What you don't hear in the story is what may happen typically. Maybe the person who is in prison doesn't survive it. That person is shanked. A gang member, a gang themselves decide to assault because he or she couldn't pay up. Not everybody's story comes beautiful out of prison. And not everybody gets to see the palace like Joseph. Joseph's story is a mark of how he moved from the pit to prison. And some people don't even survive Potiphar's house. Mrs. Potiphar can be more than just a sexual temptation. Mrs. Potiphar can be drugs. Mrs. Potiphar can be money. Mrs. Potiphar can be deception. Mrs. Potiphar can be envy. Mrs. Potiphar can be greed. She could be a lot of things, but some people can't survive that kind of pressure. What do we say to those? What do we say to those who the story didn't work out like it did for Joseph? Everybody didn't walk out of the situation, and it works for their good. And then here's the ultimate not everybody can forgive like Joseph did. I, I want to stretch out once again and say something probably maybe sensitive to some of you. But listen, if, if, if my story progresses like it did for Joseph, it's a lot easier to exercise forgiveness when I end up from the pit yet in the palace and I'm looking down on my offenders. It's a little easier for me to forgive them than if I remain in the pit and remain in prison and remain ostracized by the Potiphar's wife scenario. Joseph forgives. But the intention of the story, scholastically, is to help us understand that this is a reality. And the reality is that God wants us, in an amazing way, to realize that people will indeed hurt us, they'll wound us, they'll forsake us, they'll reject us, they'll overlook us, they'll ostracize us, they'll scandalize us. And yet God expects for us to go beyond accepting the wrong that someone has done to you and actively forgive those to whom are guilty of the charge. That's a deep pill to swallow difficult and I'm trying to tell you not everyone who's in the Christian family can do that I know we'll respond to you by saying you know that's what the Lord is all about that's what the Holy Spirit is about that's what the word is about no that's about maturity 
See, that's the reason why I contend that God recycled the brothers back into the life of Joseph. Because no doubt Joseph had to recognize and had to hope that he had gained some maturity from when he was in the pit to now that he is in the palace and he is looking out on his brothers and the palm in the palm of his hand is their future and he's got the power to decide they will either go forward or he could actually starve them to death. But his maturity won't let him do that. His maturity makes him extend grace and mercy. And I'm just trying to tell you, sometimes people's story don't end up like that and they're not able to extend that grace and mercy because they're too wounded because their contention is if God loved me that much then why would you let me walk in this space of uncertainty in the name of progress and in all honesty we don't have an answer we don't have an answer we can quote a million scriptures but it doesn't justify why they have to walk through that valley while someone else doesn't even have a valley to walk through and yet they're automatically born in the palace. It's life. That's a whole other conversation, but it's life. Then there's something else. As I said earlier, not everybody ends up in the palace. Some people ends up back in the streets or the pit their lives crumble and they fall to pieces. But Joseph's story doesn't lend itself to that for us. It paints the rosy picture. Because it's a story of hope. It's a story also that mirrors and mimics the work and presence of Jesus Christ. Because even though he's offended by those who are close to them, he uses grace and mercy to cover their sins. Isn't that what Jesus does? For those of us who are born in the image of God offended and wounded Jesus. And yet, his giving up of himself, which is where the brothers had to find themselves to make a choice, to cover what appears to be the sin of Benjamin, but there's no sin in Benjamin because Joseph put the cup in Benjamin's bag. But it's tight. We were not at Calvary. We were not in Jerusalem. But yet Jesus' death on the cross covers all. For Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's this reminding us that as Joseph covered his brothers, so God through his son covers Jesus. Why does his brothers get this presence of forgiveness? Because Joseph sees the repentance of his brothers. Listen to what happens in chapter 44 and beginning at verse 18. The Bible says, Then Judah stepped forward and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word. Please don't be angry with me even though you are powerful as Pharaoh himself. You read it all the way down to verse 33. He pleads for the salvation of his brothers. And what did Jesus do on Calvary in the dying 
he pleads and covers for the sins of his brothers. All of creation. And Joseph reminds us that he gives forgiveness because he's been forgiven. So I want us to get this learned lesson out of the text. Joseph saw and heard the pain from Jacob and Benjamin. But here's what I want you to hear. When you witness genuine repentance, embrace it. Because remember, Joseph had said they were spies, but they followed through on every test he put before them. And now he knows that he believes he sees. Some scholars suggest that there's not genuine repentance in these brothers, that they're just fronting. I don't think they're fronting because there's too much at stake. Their life is at stake. And I think that Joseph saw genuine repentance and embraced it. That's why he did what he did. Look at what verse 1 of chapter 45 says. I can't stand it any longer. He cleared the room, told everybody to get out. And he looked at his brothers and says, I am your brother Joseph. He broke down and wept, says the text. Because when there is genuine repentance, there is an effect on the offended heart, let alone the offender. There's something in both of them. And the Bible says that he wept so loud that the Egyptians could hear him and word of it carried quickly to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, your brother. And then of all questions, he asked, is not your father, not our father, he says, is my father alive? Because once Joseph saw repentance of the brothers, then Joseph provided revelation of himself. I am Joseph. This is me. And listen to what he says. I'm almost done. Listen to what he says. He says, is my father still alive? And the text says the brothers were speechless, stunned, couldn't believe it. And then he told them, come closer. And once again, I'm your brother, but listen to the text. He gives them history that they know that he's genuine. He's telling the truth. I'm the one you sold into slavery in Egypt. But then he says, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Then he does something that I think is crazy had it not been for grace and mercy. He says to the brothers, look what he says. Verse 5. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. That's how we know Joseph matured. He equates what has happened to him based on what God has done for him. 
He contends that even though you did it, God used it. And then God in his foreknowledge knew that the famine was coming and knew you would be in Canaan and positioned me to be here second in command in Egypt that I might preserve your life. Look at the text. Preserve your life because the famine won't end in two years. We've got another five years. There won't be any plowing, won't be any harvesting. And God sent me ahead of you, verse 7, to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Why? Because God's got a prophecy in Genesis chapter 12 that he made to Abraham. God's got a prophecy in Genesis chapter 15 that he made to Abraham. Canaan would be their land. If you wipe them out now, they could never capture Canaan. So what's the lessons learned for us? It's only one, very simple. God does work in mysterious ways and his wonders indeed to perform. God also is unexplainable at times. Don't understand why God does what God does. Another point is, it's okay to have questions for God. I know most of us who probably came up at least in the Baptist church and in the Kojic church, we were told you never question God. But I want to contend that God is big enough and loving enough and caring enough to handle our questions. And I want to also contend that when you read the Bible, there are plenty of questions that the servants raise in reference to God's actions. And then there's a final point. The Bible says here that Joseph closed in verse 8 by saying, it was God who sent me here, not you. Once again, it takes a lot to recognize that kind of posture. But when you centralize on being blessed, then you recognize you've been blessed to be a blessing to someone else. And Joseph knew that his life went the direction that it went because he was meant to be a blessing to his brothers who was going to need it as they met the famine in Canaan. And sometimes God permits those strange people to come back in our lives and sometimes God permits those same same strange people to even once again be in the position to injure and wound us. But if we keep our eyes on the blessing that we have, we'll recognize that we've been blessed to be a blessing to someone else so that they too can recognize forgiveness is indeed can be experienced. Father, thank you for the word of truth, and we pray now in Jesus' name that somebody today who may have been offended on their journey, whose life may have experienced some of the most cruel and unfortunate experiences from another human being, yet help us to see how blessed we are and how we've been blessed to be a blessing. And so now, Lord, open their eyes that they may see the joy of revealing how blessed they are 
and how prosperous you've made their journey, that they may help make someone else's journey of such as well. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith, and yet in this Joseph story can be seen, sacrificially giving, that we too can have a right to the glorious tree of life. Save someone today that calls on your name. We'll forever give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always our joy and prayer that today is the beginning of a new day of someone in this world. Their journey begins as their name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, and their life shall never be the same. If that is your testimony, let us know. We'd love to rejoice with you. It's a joy to celebrate when someone's life has been redeemed and changed, and they're now walking in the newness of life. We always express our gratitude and thankfulness to each of you for supporting the ministry and encourage you to continue to do so, as indeed you are blessed to be a blessing unto us, and we count on the privilege to, in return, be a blessing unto you as well. Well, my time is gone, but let me say, as I always do, remember that God loves you, and so do I. Have a wonderful, blessed, expecting week in the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.